us with nuclear weapons. Danger will come not just from blasts or heat or nearby radiation effects, but also from fallout. Fallout which may occur miles and miles away from the blast. You need to know about fallout, what it is, how to detect it, and what to do to protect yourself against it. Everybody needs to know. Yes, this does mean you. During the Cold War between the United States and the Soviet Union, each side developed and demanded more military might. The best deterrent for an all-out war, they thought, was a strategic nuclear armament, so large that each side would ultimately destroy each other and the whole Earth, some 300,000 times over, if anyone made the first move. It was a time of high tension, of nuclear holocaust fear and duck and cover propaganda. To reach the Soviet Union, the United States placed thousands of nuclear armaments in northern Montana strategically placed near the Malmstrom Air Force Base in Great Falls, Montana. The countryside was literally dotted with Minuteman intercontinental ballistic missile installations. Today, most of these have been decommissioned as part of armament treaties and partly due to age and lack of upgrading. There is, however, a significant amount of newer, more powerful nuclear weapon silos on and near the base. On our last episode, we discussed the Mariana UFO incident, and we left you with a question. Why there has been and continues to be a high number of UFO sightings in Great Falls, Montana. And I think by now, you have already figured this one out. This is Unsolved Mysteries of the World, Season 3, Episode 14, The Minutemen Guardians. During the 1960s, Minuteman missiles were being lowered into their silos, one every 15 days. It was nuclear hysteria, and the military and country were hell-bent on having just one more nuclear missile than the Russians. The U.S. Air Force and UFO research groups were getting near-daily reports of strange objects in the skies near these installations from glowing orbs to traditional flying disks to, as we discussed in the last episode, recorded anomalies on film. The military, for the most part, internally took the sightings as genuine and of interest. To the public, they maintained a strict disinterest in the topic, going as far as hiring people to debunk the sightings. But on a March morning in 1967, things changed. Strategic Air Command Missile Combat Officers Captain Eric Carlson and First Lieutenant Walt Figel of the Echo Flight Missile Combat Crew were below ground in the E-Flight Launch Control Center between Winfred and Hilger, 15 miles north of Lewiston, Montana. Missile maintenance crews and security teams camped out at two of the launch facilities, having performed work there the previous day and then staying overnight for the rest. During the early morning hours, more than one report came in from security patrols and maintenance crews that they had seen a UFO. A UFO was, in fact, reported directly above one of the E-Flight silos. At least one security policeman, it later turned out, was so affected by this encounter that he never again returned to missile security duty ever again. Then, at 8.30 a.m., Deputy Crew Commander Figgel was briefing Carlson, the crew commander, on the flight status when the alarm horn sounded. Something was wrong. One of the Minuteman missiles they supervised had strangely gone off alert. It became inoperable. 
The off alert occurred at one of the two sites where maintenance crews had camped out on site. Upset, thinking maintenance personnel had failed to notify him that the missile was going to go off status, as required when maintenance work is done on a missile, Figgle immediately called the missile site. When he spoke with the on-site security guard, the guard reported that maintenance had not yet been performing that morning. Then he reluctantly said they were unable to do so because of an incident. He stated, a UFO had been hovering over the site, witnessed by the entire crew and having an effect on the men. Feigl thought the guard must have been drinking something. But then, something else went wrong. Incredibly, now other missiles started to go off alert in rapid succession. Within seconds, the entire flight of 10 ICBMs was down. All the missiles reported a no-go condition. One by one, across the board, each missile had become inoperable. The UFO was now pulsating. Feigl immediately went to high alert and ran a checklist. When the checklist procedure had been completed for each missile site, it was discovered that each of the missiles had gone to off-alert status due to a guidance and control system fault. Power had not been lost to the sites. The missiles simply were not operational because, for some unexplainable reason, each of their guidance and control systems had malfunctioned. It had never occurred before. It never has since. Two SAT teams, or security alert teams, were dispatched from ECHO to those sites where the maintenance crews were present. They, after all, could perform some work and were on site with visual confirmation. Feigl, however, did not inform the SAT teams that the on-site guards had reported a UFO. On arrival at the launch facilities, though, the SAT reported that all of the maintenance and security personnel present at each site had seen UFOs hovering over each of the two sites. It was time to contact the Strategic Air Command about this incident. Captain Don Crawford's crew relieved the Echo flight crew later that morning, and Crawford recalls that both Carlson and Feigl were still visibly shaken what had occurred. The maintenance crews worked on the missiles the entire day and late into the night during the shift to bring them all back to alert status. Not only had missiles been lost to our deterrent forces, but they had remained out of service for an entire day. At another ICBM launch center, another strange incident was occurring. Robert Salas, deputy crew commander of Oscar Flight, was below ground in the launch control center just south of the town of Roy, 20 miles southeast of where the crew had observed a UFO above their silo. He was about to encounter something strange. Outside Oscar Flight's launch control, an airman noticed a star zigzagging in the sky. Then he saw another light doing much the same, but this one was bigger and closer. He asked his flight security controller, FCS, the non-commissioned officer in charge of Launch Control Center site security, to come take a look. They both stood there, watching the lights streak directly above them, stop, change directions at high speed, and return overhead. Frightened and on alert, the NCO ran into the building and phoned Robert Salas in his underground capsule and informed him of their encounter. Salas did not take the report seriously and told the NCO, great. You just keep watching them and let me know if they get any closer. Salas thought it was a joke, but was unsure because there wasn't a lot of joking going around a Minuteman missile. And that sort of behavior was out of character for air security policemen, whose communications were always very professional. As Salas thought about it, the phone rang again. It was the NCR once more, but this time he was frightened and shouting his words. Sir, there's one hovering outside the front gate. One what? A UFO. It's just sitting there. We're all just looking at it. What do you want us to do? What? What does it look like? I, I can't really describe it. 
It's glowing red. What are we supposed to do? Make sure the site is secure, and I'll phone the command post. Sir, I have to go now. One of our guys just got injured. The NCR hung up the phone. Salas went immediately to the commander, Lieutenant Fred Mewald, who was on a scheduled sleep period and awoke him. As Salas was describing what was happening topside, the klaxon alarm sounded. They both looked at the panel of lights and saw that a no-go light was lit up and flashing, indicating a problem with one of the missile sites. As Fred queried the system to see what was happening, at each particular site, all of a sudden lights started going off at other missile sites. One by one, each were in no-go status. In 10 seconds, 10 missiles were inoperable. Command Post was notified, but they had already been called out previous errors being reported. Next, Salas called the security guard back and was informed that one crew member approached the UFO, was not injured seriously, but was being evacuated by helicopter off-site and to Malmstrom. Salas went topside to speak with the security guard and was told the UFO was glowing red and appeared to be saucer-shaped. He said it was immediately outside the front gate and was hovering without making a sound. Command Post sent security patrols to check and secure all the launch facilities that were shut down. The security patrols radioed back that at each site, they observed similar UFOs. At this time, Melmstrom took to the skies, sending up patrols to see if they could contact and identify these UFOs. This was as serious an event as any, and it was uncontrollable. An in-depth post-incident investigation of the E-flight incident was undertaken. Full-scale on-site and laboratory tests at the Boeing Company's Seattle plant were conducted. Declassified strategic missile wing documents and interviews with ex-Boeing engineers who conducted tests following the E-Flight incident investigation confirmed that no cause for the missile shutdowns was ever found. Robert Kaminsky was the Boeing Company engineering team leader for this investigation. Kaminsky stated that after all the tests were done, quote, there were no significant failures. Engineering data are findings that could explain how 10 missiles were knocked off alert. And there was no technical explanation that could explain the event, end quote. The most that could be done was to reproduce the effects by introducing a 10 volt pulse onto a data line Another engineer on the team, Robert Ridgert, came up with this pulse that repeated the shutdown effects 80% of the time, but only when directly injected at the logic coupler. No explanation could be found for a source of such a pulse or noise occurring in the field and getting inside the shielded missile system equipment. Others on the engineering team checked other possibilities, lightning and problems in the commercial power system were acquitted as the source of the problem. William Dutton, another Boeing company engineer, checked commercial power interruptions and transients and stated no anomalies were found in the area. Several military branches and other engineering firms participated in the investigation, but no positive cause for the shutdowns was ever found, despite extensive and concentrated efforts. One conclusion was that the only way a pulse or noise could be sent in from outside the shielded system was through an electromagnetic pulse, an EMP, from an unknown source. The technology of the day made generating an EMP of sufficient magnitude to enter the shielded system a very difficult proposition, requiring large, heavy, bulky equipment. The source of the actual pulse that caused the initial shutdowns remains a mystery to this day. At this time, I would like to introduce you to the show's sponsor, Healing T&G Tea. Healing T&G Tea is specifically formulated 
to help those with arthritis, joint pain, and inflammation. But it also has a lot of secondary benefits as well. If you suffer from rheumatoid arthritis, osteoarthritis, joint pain, and inflammation, and are looking for a natural, science-proven way to ease and even eliminate the pain and stiffness, Healing TNG Tea is a must. You can buy TNG Healing Tea on Amazon, and for our loyal listeners, if you order directly from the website, you will get not only your package of TNG Healing Tea, but also a free book valued at $12.99. Along with your order, you will receive from authors Jennifer Wilcox, Dr. Sorensen, and Haratu Kobayashi the very informative book, Heal Arthritis and Eliminate Joint Pain Naturally. Discover how to treat your arthritis and joint pain using a variety of doctor and healthcare professional recommended treatments. Learn what works and what does not, including the latest medications, alternative treatments, natural health supplements, the arthritis diet, pain-free exercise, and surgeries. You will learn about science-driven studies that prove you can overcome arthritis. This book will be made available to you free of charge when you order Healing TNGT. Simply shop online at Amazon, or if you would like to take advantage of the free book offer and free shipping, Order directly from the website. Ordering instructions will be in the show notes and on our Facebook page. This is a limited time offer, so do not wait. If you have arthritis and want to eliminate costly and often harmful medications, try TNG Healing Tea. Seriously, it is less than a bottle of pain medication and it tastes great. Again, you will get the free book. Heal Arthritis and Eliminate Joint Pain Naturally with your order. And you will get free shipping. That is an incredible deal just for our listeners. Order TNG Healing Tea today. The military deemed this whole incident an anomaly. But if they were paying attention, the anomaly was being reported a month previous. On February 8, 1967, Louis de Leon saw two strange objects in the sky while driving east of Chester, Montana. They did not look like airplanes and they glowed an orange and red color. Later, 10 miles east of Chester, Jake Walkman was awakened by a bright light at his home. From his backyard, he sighted a flying saucer-shaped object. The next evening, George Koenishi, a foreman for the Great Northern Railroad, saw a bright ball of light in the sky directly above the Chester train depot. Others later came forward as well, describing similar objects in the skies around Montana. Later it was revealed that when Captain Don Crawford, who was the deputy crew commander at Echo Flight, called into command post to tell them what was going on, command post told him, quote, we no longer record those kinds of reports, end quote. Crawford later indicated he was frightened and ordered his security team to fire on the object if it seemed hostile. One of the security guards said, quote, thanks, sir, but I really don't think it would do any good, end quote. A few seconds later, the object silently flew away. There were several reports later taken of witnesses who saw the UFOs leaving the area. UFOs were sighted by security personnel at the Oscar Flight LCC and at one O-Flight launch facility and by other security and maintenance personnel at Echo Flight launch facility. These sightings were reported separately to the capsule crews at both launch control centers at or about the same time Minuteman strategic missiles shut down at both sites. United States Air Force has confirmed that all of Echo Flight's missile shutdowns were within seconds of each other and that no cause for this could ever be found. Captain Robert Salas and the dozens upon dozens of eyewitnesses to the events continue to this day to talk about what they experienced. Let's listen to Captain Salas as he speaks at the citizen hearing on UFOs. 
We'll begin with Captain Roger Salas. Am I pronouncing that right, sir? Salas is correct. Thank, Thank you. Ms. Kilpatrick um, and panel, uh, I would first like to briefly describe the incident that I experienced in March 1967. At that time, I was a first lieutenant, U.S. Air Force, stationed at Malmstrom Air Force Base, Montana. I was trained and assigned duties as a missile launch officer for the Minuteman One intercontinental ballistic missile. It was, I was designated Deputy Missile Combat Crew Commander and part of a two-man crew. My commander at that time was Lieutenant Frederick Mywold. He's now deceased. I will briefly review the, uh, well, the diagrams showing the launch control center and launch facility we will show you shortly when one of the other speakers uh, present. Um, we were on duty uh, inside the Oscar Launch Control Center, a concrete capsule located about 60 feet underground. We had operational control over 10 Minuteman nuclear missiles. Each missile operates independently and has its own source of primary and backup power systems. It is important for you to note that the command and control for these missiles was entirely located within the capsule. There was absolutely no means to affect any of the missile systems from outside the capsule. On the evening of March 24, 1967, while my commander was on a scheduled rest break, I received the first of two phone calls from my topside flight security controller, FSC. Uh, the first call was to report unidentified uh, lighted objects flying above the facility. Uh, they, they reported they were uh, flying at very high speeds, making uh, very odd maneuvers, uh, nothing a, an aircraft could do, and they just wanted to report it. I didn't pay much attention to that first call, uh, and I basically hung up on them. <laughs> uh, minutes later, the FSC phoned again and reported in a very agitated state that there was a large oval-shaped object hovering above the front gate. It was um, a red pulsating lighted object approximately 30, 40 feet in diameter, uh, the best he could describe it. It was, um, uh, it was difficult to distinguish a structural part of it on the inside except that it was a glowing red pulsating object. Uh, we had all the men out there with their weapons drawn they wanted me to know, uh, wanted me to tell him what to do next. <laughs> I, um, of course, told him something like, uh, make sure nothing comes inside the perimeter fence. Uh, of course, we had, our primary duty was to secure those uh, nuclear missiles. <clears throat> Immediately after that call, I started to inform my commander about the incident. Uh, as I started to inform my commander, our missiles began to shut down. We lost alert status on all 10 missiles while this object was above our facility. When we queried the fault system, all missiles reported guidance and control system failure. We had a, a way of querying faults within the system called Versa. It's a voice-activated system. Uh, and we were getting channel, channels 9 and 12, which is guidance and control system. At the same time, we had indicator lights showing security violations at two of the launch facilities where the missiles were physically located. While Lieutenant Mywald reported the incident to the wing command post, I phoned upstairs and directed the security alert team to be sent to those launch facilities with security violations to investigate those indications. At that time, the FSC reported to me that the object had flown off at high speed when the security alert team arrived at the affected LFs, and I'll brief, uh, LFs meaning launch facilities, uh, they reported seeing the object hovering over those sites. As they approached closer to the object, uh, they lost all communications with the FSC. After speaking to the wing command post, Lieutenant Mywald informed me that the same thing happened at another flight. Uh, at that time, I assumed that meant that night, but it turns out uh, what he meant was it happened at another flight about a week earlier, and that's the Echo flight incident, which I'll talk about shortly. Uh, right now, I'd like you to hear the uh, portion of the conversation I had with uh, Colonel Mywald, who uh, retired as a full colonel 
Uh, and I had this conversation early 19, uh, sometime in 1996. Uh, can we play the first audio, please? up there. That was Colonel Walter Fiegel, who was the Deputy Missile Crew Commander at Echo Flight. Uh, can we have the MyWalls audio, please? Hey, reports from the field about UFOs. So I remember the two guards that had gone out to one of the sites uh, finally got back scared to death. We had to relieve them of duty. Yeah. Oh, you mean uh, our guards? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and rebel patrol type. Oh, I see. They had gone out to one of the sites uh, on the LS, and on the way back, they lost radio contact, and we ended up having to send them back to base earlier. I'm not sure what happened, but I don't think they ever returned to uh, guard duty. And what were they scared about? Well, they had seen these crazy things. Oh, they did? Yeah. They reported that to you? I, I they reported it to the top side guy. Oh, the top side guy, that's right. Okay. 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 Well, interesting, don't you think? Yeah. <laughs> uh, after we were relieved by another crew the next morning, I arrived back at the base. Uh, we Mr. Solace. Yes. In a, in a couple sentences, would you tell us what we just heard? The conversation. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. It was a little confusing. Uh, the first conversation you heard was uh, uh, Colonel Walter Fiegel, now retired. As far as I know, he's still alive. Uh, he's authorized me to use that audio, by the way. It was a recording of a telephone conversation I had with him in 1996. Uh, and he described uh, the, the, um, the fact that he had, on two of his launch facilities, he had maintenance crews out there and security guards. And when the first missile went down in his flight, uh, they reported that there were UFOs overhead as the missiles went down. He lost all 10 of his missiles within, in rapid succession. That, that incident occurred on March 16th, 1967. No, no, the, the missiles were not launched. <laughs> the, um, uh, he just reported, they reported that the objects were above them, and at that point the missiles started shutting down, yeah, disabled. Uh, the second audio recording you heard was that of uh, Colonel Mywald uh, talking about the fact that we had security light violations and we had to send guards out to one, one or more of the LFs, and um, they reported seeing the UFOs again. By the way, I've got more audio available that's where Colonel Mywald supports my entire statement about what, what occurred. So he's been, he was consistent on supporting this for, for up until the time he passed away last year. Uh, after we received by, uh, relieved by another crew the next morning, right back to the base, we reported to the squadron commander's office. There we were ordered to sign <clears throat> non-disclosure statements regarding our specific incident. I did sign a non-disclosure statement. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, and we were ordered not to talk to anybody about this. Uh, it was then designated a highly classified incident at no time did we lose 
power during, during the incident, I want to emphasize, we always had electrical power. Uh, the sensitive information network, uh, SIN cables that carried the signals for, uh, to the missile systems were triply shielded uh, from electromagnetic interference. The preliminary investigation isolated the failure to the logic coupler at each missile. The logic coupler is associated with the missile guidance system. That's about the best I can explain to you what the logic coupler does. I refer, uh, I'll refer you to a portion of the unit wing history. I believe you have documents uh, that I supplied you with that talk about uh, the echo flight incident and I'll just read part of it. It says, in the opinion of the team, uh, was that externally generated signals caused the generation of these two channels and shut down the launch facilities. The possibility of this is very remote uh, due to the fact that all ten couplers would have to fail in the flight within a few seconds of each other. Um, this statement confirms that signals were sent to each individual missile separately in order to disable them. Uh, from my knowledge of the operating system at the time, neither I nor the investigative team could define the method or means by which these signals were sent to disable the missiles, each in the same manner, <clears throat> meaning each missile failed for the same reason, guidance and control system failure. Uh, Mr. Robert Kaminsky was the Boeing team leader for the investigation of the Echo Flight shutdown. In a response to our inquiry, he stated, this kind of event is virtually impossible once the system was up and running. The team went, met with me to report their findings, and it was decided that the final report would have nothing, nothing significant in it to explain what happened at Echo Flight. Just one moment, Captain. Uh, we did not explain that. Just working with my congressional research assistant on the end of the table, we are going to allow 10 minutes for each of you. Uh, I'm not sure. I just got the time signed for the captain, and I don't believe that he's been talking 10 minutes, has he? He has. He has been talking 10 minutes. Captain, can, can you, and since we didn't let you know ahead of time, I'm going to give you an additional three minutes if that's okay. Thank you very much. I'll You're try to get welcome. through it as quickly that's as I okay. can. <laughs> uh, after meeting with the engineers to discuss the results of their investigation, Mr. Kaminsky was notified by a supervisor that he should not submit his final report because the incident was reported to be a UFO event. Even though the Boeing Company was the principal contractor for the Minman 1 missile, the report on the incident was not submitted by specific request of the Air Force. However, the Air Force did perform their own classified investigation where they identified a possible failure mode as stated above. In my opinion, we did not have the technical capability to produce a machine then or now that would be able to instigate the failure mode of these missiles identified in the unit wing history. In addition, the unidentified objects displayed the physical and flight characteristics that no known aircraft type could achieve then or now. Therefore, I have concluded these objects were non-terrestrial in origin. Of an important related activity ongoing, and this uh, is important, on December 17, 1969, the official U.S. Air Force investigation to the UFO phenomenon was terminated. Uh, the principal basis for this, and you have the Air Force position on UFOs, I believe. I've given you a copy of that. Uh, the principal basis for this was termina this termination was the evaluation of a report prepared by the University of Colorado entitled Scientific Study of Unidentified Flying Objects. In 1966, the U.S. Air Force awarded a half-million-dollar contract to the University of Colorado for the purpose of studying the UFO phenomenon. I'll refer to this study as the Condon Investigation for its team leader, Edward Condon. In fact, it was never intended to be a scientific study because the Air Force did not propose that any scientific hypothesis regarding the phenomena be evaluated. The Condon team relied on input and evaluations of reported UFO incidents from Air Force officers at various bases. The Condon team was, except for one individual, not authorized to review classified reports of Air Force incidents regarding the phenomena. They were not even informed that classified UFO files existed until after the termination of their study. I have evidence supporting this. 
With respect to the 1967 Echo and Oscar flight UFO incidents, there was a deliberate effort to keep information about those incidents from the Conning Committee in 1967. Dr. Roy Craig, the chief investigator for the Conning Committee, was informed by Mr. Raymond Fowler, a contractor working for Sylvania on Minuteman Electrical Systems, that the Echo flight shutdowns at Malmstrom had occurred during UFO sighting. In October 67, he visited Malmstrom to inquire about this. Dr. Craig recalls this inquiry with Lieutenant Colonel Lewis Chase, the base operations officer at Malmstrom. After Colonel Chase and I had exchanged pleasantries in his office, this is a quotation, I asked him about the echo incident. The colonel caught his breath and expressed surprise that I knew of it. I can't talk about that, he said. Colonel Chase had assured me that the incident had not involved a UFO. Since Colonel Chase was the last man I would doubt, when he conveyed this information, I accepted the information as factual and turned the review over to Bob Lowe, who had received, uh, Robert Lowe was the deputy content, uh, and he was the only one cleared to uh, look at classified information. When Dr. Robert Lowe, the deputy deacon, requested the Air Force allow him to review the secret report of the ECHO incident, he was informed that the report would be too highly classified to allow that review. Dr. Craig did not review any, uh, did not interview any of the many witnesses that uh, were named to him by Ray Fowler uh, that he could have interviewed. He did not interview either of the crews, ECHO or OSCAR crew. In addition, the Air Force Office of Project Blue Book was deliberately misinformed about these incidents. In a letter from Colonel James Minot, and I think you have those, these letters in front of you, uh, he was uh, right pat, Blue Book, essentially. Uh, he requested Colonel Chase in, in June of 67, uh, inquired of reports they had received that there were equipment malfunctions and abnormalities. During the UFO sightings, the written reply from Colonel Chase stated, this office has no knowledge of equipment malfunctions and abnormalities in equipment during the period of UFO sightings. This evidence and Captain, the Air Force. Captain, um, I, I think you just have a short piece to go, is that right? Just one page left. Just very short. Yes, sir. Please, please proceed. <laughs> I'm almost done. Please proceed. Uh, and by the way, this is a very complex case. Absolutely. Uh, we can tell that. Yes, sir. Thank you. And we appreciate your testimony. This is evidence that the Air Force purposefully denied uh, the con investigators the knowledge that the Echo and Oscar flight shutdowns were UFO-related incidents. Since the Air Force cites this particular study as the primary reason for the official rejection of the UFO phenomenon and claims that no UFO reported, investigated, and evaluated by the Air Force was ever an indication of threat to our national security, and in light of my own experience and others, I must conclude the U.S. Air Force was and is engaged in lying and disinforming the public about the realities of the UFO phenomenon. That's the end of my statement. On October 23, 2010, F.E. Warren Air Force Base in Cheyenne, Wyoming, temporarily lost the ability to communicate with 50 of its Minuteman III nuclear missiles. The five missile alert facilities responsible for launching those ICBMs in times of war, Alpha through Echo, comprised the 319th Strategic Missile Squadron, would have been unable to do so during the period of the disruption. Sightings by Air Force teams of an enormous cigar-shaped craft maneuvering high above the missile field on the day of the disruption, as well as the following day, were reported. The huge UFO was described as appearing similar to a World War I German Zeppelin, but had no passenger gondola or advertising on its hull, as would a commercial blimp. The confidential Air Force sources further report that the commander of their squadron had sternly warned its members not to talk to journalists or researchers about, quote, the things they may or may not have seen, end quote, in the sky near the missiles in recent months, and have threatened severe penalties for anyone violating the security breach. UFO researchers then got even more reports coming in from law enforcement and civilians located near the sites. More recently, on January 24, 2018, a sighting of a UFO was reported near the Malmstrom Air Force Base. 
It was described as a black object over half an acre in size. As it hovered near the base, the entire military installation suffered a power outage that lasted over 10 minutes. It is not known if the nuclear missiles on site went offline as they did during previous engagements with these UFOs. Speaking personally with unidentified Air Force personnel out of Malmstrom, they indicated quite frankly that they believe the UFO phenomenon is real and that the military knows it's real. But there isn't, and I quote, a damn thing they can do about it. Captain Salas was asked by Representative Hooley why UFOs would interfere with nuclear facilities. Let us listen to his answer. Congresswoman Hooley? Yes, thank you, Madam Chair. Um, first of all, I'd like to thank our panel. You have been terrific. Uh, just, and anyone that wants to jump in and answer this question is, I. I'm originally from North Dakota. I'm very familiar with Minot. So I have a problem with understanding why anyone would go to Minot, but any, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, that's not a good thing. I love you, North Dakota. Uh, <laughs> but what if some, wherever they come from, somebody is in Minot shutting off the missiles Why? I mean, is that to show us that they can do that? Is that, why, why would you do that? Can I uh, try that? <laughs> uh, first of all, uh, the world is facing a crisis right now about nuclear weapons. Uh, I, I don't have to remind you about right. uh, those possibilities in, in countries uh, that are trying to acquire nuclear weapons. Uh, uh, we have enough, and we've had enough nuclear weapons to destroy every living thing on, on Earth for a long, long time. Right. And it would not take much to start a nuclear war, in my opinion. Uh, and, it, and, and that risk is getting worse. So I do believe that, and I think they are extraterrestrial, and this is just my opinion, uh, that they are here to uh, at least point to the fact that uh, we are on the verge of annihilation, of uh, suicide, if you will, our own civilization. And uh, they would like to see us get rid of these weapons. And, and, uh, and that's the message I got from, from my incident. That's my own conclusion. Okay. That the, this was strictly a message uh, get rid of your weapons. Get rid of those nuclear weapons. They are not weapons of war, by the way. They're weapons of mass destruction. Right. Uh, they would never be used in a real war because uh, it would just be a complete suicide for, for civilization, like I said. Anyone else want to jump in? Yes. yes. Um, Sergeant Scott? Yeah, in uh, June of 2001, President Bush came on, on scene on ABC News, and it was carried throughout the networks, and in Popular Mechanics magazine. He had with him a general from the Air Force, and he was announcing that the general was going to be the head of a new military force called the Space Force. And they were going to build this force and also put a military base on the moon. Now, nobody questioned him on why, what was the purpose for that, but then September 11th comes around, the terrorist attack comes, this general is, is posted as the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and the, and the Space Force never comes about. The question I have still, why did he want to create a new military force for outer space unless there's a threat. We have one. We have a space, we have a, a space uh, force. It's in existence. It, and it's been written about extensively. Right. It's, it's there. Okay. Good. All right. Okay. Some acknowledge it and some don't. But that's a, that, your point's well taken, Sergeant. Well, that's your black ops. Black yes. ops is real. Well, yeah, I know. 
You want me to answer that? No. No, I won't. No. <laughs> no. Let well, me go I'm to Congress. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, he jumped in. Right, I'm sorry. You're absolutely right. Continue. It's your time, Congresswoman. So I'd like to hear from you. I just said that what he's talking about is black ops. And uh, I don't doubt that. Uh, but I'm concerned that they're trying to tell us. I'm, I don't quite totally agree with Bob, but I do agree with That's him. okay. I, I think they're at least trying to, to tell us that pay attention. You know, we have the power to do this. Be careful. You know, and one of my, you know, I've got scenarios in my mind about, I've thought about this an awful lot, and one of my scenarios is perhaps, in fact, they've communicated with the leaders of the world and said, back off from the stuff or else you're gonna annihilate yourself. And maybe that's why we cut back some of our missiles. You know, in other scenarios, do these, I'll call them beings, do these entities, you know, are we aware of these entities enough that they can go public instead of saying, you can't handle the truth, we can handle the truth? And going public with an innocuous thing like harmless beings that are visiting us just to keep in touch and, and everything's fine, or are, do they consider us a species like we consider apes a species, or dolphins, or perhaps rodents, or perhaps insects? You know, so that sort of thing I don't want to know about. If it's just the fact that they're visiting and they're kind of trying to tell us to watch out for nuclears, they can come forward with, it, with that. The government should come forward to let us know, to ease our minds a bit. However, if it's the other scenarios, I just want them to, to come forward and lie to us and tell us the entities are nice things and they just want to warn us about nuclear. I, don't, you know, I, I can't handle that truth, that we're insects to these people, these beings. So. Thank you so much. Yes. David? Well, you've, you've asked us to speculate. I don't know. You probably don't know. No, I don't. But um, um, these missiles being shut down, Captain Salas described two flights that he's aware of. I described to you one flight of 10 missiles that I'm aware of. But I'm also aware of other launch officers who've described to me similar situations. So, you know. It's not unique that him and I have been involved here. I mean, this was a situation that was occurring quite often when I served in 1966 and 67. And who knows that it's not still happening out there. There is no active officers of any kind that will come out and admit that right now. But what I'd like to know is, what's your speculation on these missiles being shut down. How, what, is that rhetorical or you need an answer? I'd like an answer to okay, that. Okay, let me come back to you. Because I'm sure it would be just as good as I might have something to end on too. If, let if me get, I may just offer one, one very 30 second opinion. Uh, I, I feel that we do really do not, do not have enough data even now to know exactly why this is happening. Because despite the number of cases where this does appear to have happened, there are thousands of missiles and not all of them have been shut down as far as we can tell. So if they're doing this, uh, they're obviously not doing it uniformly. Um, and I just, I don't really feel that any, any researcher has enough data to know precisely what those motivations might be. They, they obviously, they seem to have demonstrated superiority over our technology, that's for sure. So at discrete moments, they seem to be able to do this, but they, they're not doing it uniformly. And they certainly haven't stopped all of the massive wars that have, uh, you know, run over the planet. So there are certain limits as to what they're willing to do as well. Thank you. And I yield back my time, Madam Chair. Thank you, Congresswoman. If you would like to learn more about the UFO phenomenon and nuclear sites and how they are related, we highly recommend UFO research, Robert Hastings' book, UFO and Nukes, and also Faded Giant by Robert Salas and James Klotz. 
Have you ever tried to find a cheap hotel room and you open up Expedia, then you open up Travago, then Booking.com, and then Hotels.com, and so on and so on, trying to find the best deal from all the hotel discount and booking sites? What if I told you you could do one search in one window, either online or using your mobile device? What if I told you that you can take all these discount search sites, combine them into one easy-to-use app, saving time and money? It basically finds the cheapest price anywhere. There are no additional fees, including taxes, and the app is free to use. What you see on the screen is the exact amount you will pay. Now, this isn't a separate booking app. It is a comprehensive yet easy way to do hotel searches. Think of it as a cheap hotel search engine. It simply finds the best deal for you. Savings are incredible, sometimes up to 70% off. There are even options such as pay now, pay later, free cancellations, no credit cards required. With a database of over 270,000 hotels, 46,000 hostels, 500,000 bed and breakfasts, and 1.3 million apartments, you will be sure to find the best hotel at an incredible price. Now, do you want this app? Find the best hotel room at the best price. Just visit www.experiencethis360.com. At the top links, you will see a link called Best Travel Deals. Click that or use the drop-down menu to get to a specific area. Links will also be made available in the show notes. Again, that's www.experiencethis360.com. Now back to the podcast. Thank you for listening to Unsolved Mysteries of the World. If you enjoyed this episode, remember to find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, or your other favorite podcast directory, and subscribe, rate, and review. We would really appreciate your support. If you haven't already, join us on Facebook to enhance this episode with photos, illustrations, and lively discussion. Look for our suggested links and do share this podcast with others. Perhaps you or someone you know will have a solution to this mystery. This podcast is created by Cold Rasta Studios and includes music and sound effects by John Savoy, Albert Ray, Gerardo Garcia Jr., Rana Szilard, Madia Cupelli, Alex Lisi, Martin Kahlberg, and Adrian von Ziegler.